May we hear what your word says. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this past week, June 6th, was uh, the anniversary, the 79th anniversary of D-Day, uh, 1944, when uh, the Allied forces uh, crossed the English Channel and stormed the beaches of Normandy, France. Um, some of you might have heard of a lady by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. Uh, Corrie uh, and her family lived in the Netherlands, I think in the city of Harlem. Uh, her father, Casper, was a, a jeweler and watchmaker. And actually, uh, Corrie was one of the first women uh, in the Netherlands to get licensed by the government to be a watchmaker. And she and her family worked in the business. And uh, anyhow, they were also Christians. And when the Nazis invaded, the, the, German, the Nazi Germans invaded the Netherlands in 1940, uh, immediately the Germans began to round up anyone who was Jewish. And Corey and her sister Betsy and their father Casper, uh, they knew that they had to do something. And so they began to take in Jewish people and hide them. And then uh, they would pass them along to other safe houses. And they were able to get extra ration cards to be able to come up with food to be able to feed the extra people they were hiding in the house. Well, they did this up until February 28, 1944. Uh, an informant told the police about what the Ten Boom family were doing, and the police came and arrested Corey and Betsy and their father, Casper. Now, they knew the risk. They understood. They knew how brutal the Germans could be. They knew the consequences. They knew the penalties that if they got caught hiding Jews and helping both the Jews as well as anyone involved in the underground resistance, that there would be punishment and it would come swiftly and it would be hard. They could be executed uh, or you know, at the very least, they would be in prison. Well, they were arrested February 28, 1944. Uh, ten days after getting arrested, Casper, Corey's father, died in jail. Uh, Corey and Betsy were tried and sentenced, and they were shipped off to a concentration camp in, in uh, Germany. I think it was called Ravensbrück. And there they stayed, and Betsy died uh, by, at the end of the year, in December of 44. But the Ten Booms, they knew, they knew this could happen. They knew this was a possibility. And, and, they, were, and they took every precaution. They were careful. You know, they had uh, routines worked out. And they had hiding places uh, that they made inside their house. Because when the Nazis came and arrested them, they didn't find the Jews that were hidden inside the house by the grace of God. Later, someone from the resistance sent a uh, note to Corey and said, all the watches in your cabinet have been safely delivered. And she knew that that meant that all the Jews that were hiding in the house were able to get out. 
that uh, there were actually some uh, Dutch policemen who, while they still served as police, they were also helping the underground, and they were able, little by little, to get everyone out of the house while the Ten Boon family was locked up. Well, I don't know about you, but throughout my life, I've struggled with fear. I mean, there are real concerns in this world. Um, there are always concerns like, I could lose my job, or uh, my farm or my business could have a bad year. I could go out of business. I could get sick. I could get injured. I know what it's like to fall on ice and, and break a leg. <laughs> You know, um, you know, I've fallen how many times on ice and gotten right back up, but one time, well, that was one time too hard. And so lots of things can go sideways or go wrong, as we tend to say or think, that we, uh, we recognize that things can go badly. And, and so there's lots of reasons why we can become afraid. And certainly as we live in a culture that is seemingly ever faster, getting away from its Christian heritage, its Christian roots, its, the Christian foundations of the people who uh, established the United States of America. And, and we see court cases against Christian bakers who refuse to make cakes celebrating gay marriage. And we see the boycotts against Christian businesses. And we see people being canceled on social media and certainly in different businesses and, and so forth. And we, we hear all these things about social credit scores and how they have been used in China. And now uh, corporations are taking and using these social credit scores. And so... Fear can rise up in us, and fear can shut us down and keep us from doing what we should do, what we know God's Word commands us to do. We can be crippled, and yet that's not what we are to do. We need passages like Romans chapter 8 that gives us encouragement that explains to us the benefits that we have in Christ. You know, in Romans 8, and in our passage that we're looking at this morning, we see that God justifies us, God is for us, and that God keeps us secure. Romans, the book of Romans, is about the gospel. I mean, if you were going to give a simple, I don't know, uh, answers. What's the book of Romans about? And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter uh, to the church of Rome. He had not made it there yet. He had not gone there. And um, he anticipated visiting Rome. He wanted to go there. His ambition was to go all the way to Spain in Western Europe and stop in Rome and that the Roman church would refresh him and refuel him and and provide for his material needs and help him get to Spain. That was Paul's plan. We're not quite certain if Paul actually got to, to, to accomplish it that way. 
Paul did get to Rome. But anyhow, Paul writes this letter, and, and, and he's writing to Christians. And so it's not like he's writing to unbelievers, like, oh, they don't have a clue what the gospel's about. But Paul explains to them, because the gospel is uh, the good news, is, is what Paul preaches and teaches everywhere he goes. And he, and he, he, he proclaims it to Jewish people, but also to Gentiles. And specifically with Gentiles in mind. And, and he tells people, both those who've heard it once, as well as those who've heard it multiple times, as well as people who've never heard it, he, t- he explains the same message. But to the, the church in Rome, he, he gives a further explanation. This is what it's all about. And... Um, and so when we get to chapter 8, uh, we're, we see that there are benefits to being, uh, to being redeemed, to being uh, justified by God. If you understand, as, as Paul explained in the early chapters, all of humanity, Jews and Gentiles, everyone's a sinner, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the only way that we are going to get around this uh, problem, this impasse of our sin, our rebellion against God that, that keeps us separated from God, the only solution is a solution from God in which God reveals a righteousness to us, a righteousness that is by faith, that in God's grace... God's initiative, he shows us grace and mercy, and he provides us with faith to believe. And Paul explains, this is what he did in the case of Abraham. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And the righteous shall live by faith. And Paul explains how it all started with Adam, how death came into the world through Adam, but then how life comes through the second Adam, through Jesus Christ. And then Paul explains that Jesus, who is the second Adam, who was born without a sin nature, chose always to be obedient. And so he was always right. He was righteous. Whereas Adam was born without, or was created without a sin nature, but Adam chose to rebel against God. And so, in Jesus, in his obedience, Jesus obediently went to the cross and sacrificed his life for us. And when Jesus did that on the cross, he died for the sins of his people. Every one of our trespasses, every one of our sins, we read the, the, the law this morning, we've broken that, whether literally in our actions, or whether in our speech, or most likely we've probably broken God's law definitely in our mind. And so we have violated and disobeyed God. We have rebelled. We have committed treason. And so all of that, each, for each one of us individually and as families and, and, and corporately, all of that through time and space was put on Jesus Christ on the cross and he paid for that. And in paying for it, he redeemed or purchased or reclaimed us from sin 
and from death and the devil. And Jesus purchased us to be his bride. And then Paul explains in Romans 6 that we also died with Christ on the cross. Our old nature died. And that just as Jesus rose from the dead, spiritually speaking, we rose with him. Because now that we have been bought by him, we belong to him, he owns us, so we are whatever is applied to Jesus is now applied to us. And so we are risen with Christ. And then Paul gets into Romans 7 and explains how we, we have this struggle with sin. We don't do what we ought to do, and we do the things that we don't want to do. And Paul says, who would deliver us from this body of death? And again, the answer is always goes back to Jesus. Jesus is the only one. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. And he starts out Romans 8 by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is the first point that I want to make this morning. It's God who justifies us. You see, we can be materialistic. And we can have a materialistic worldview and think that this life is all there is. And if that's the case, if we're just material beings, you know, you begin to wonder what is the point of life, you know, reproduction, accumulate wealth, what, you know, what is it? You know, is this all there is? Uh, of course, um, marketers, advertising agencies want to say, go for the gusto. You only go around once, so go for the gusto. But the Bible says that we're created body and soul and that after this life, there's still life to come. In fact, not only that, but the Bible, even in the Old Testament, talks about a resurrection of the dead. That these bodies of sin, because they're uh, under a curse, because of Adam's fall, we have a limited lifespan. We live so many years on this earth. Could be 50, could be 70, could be 100. You know, give or take a few. But we're only so many years. I think I just saw on the internet, there was a woman who was 116 years old, the oldest living human being. I, I You know, maybe, maybe you could make it to 120. I mean, I certainly hope life expectancy continues to expand. But whatever it is, we have so much time. And the Bible assures us that even when these bodies stop, when the heart stops beating and, and they put us in the ground, we still are alive. We still, we, we haven't gone out of existence. And so the thing that we have to keep in mind is that there's going to be a judgment throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. There is this constant thing that there will be a judgment. God will judge every human being from Adam to the very last one, <coughs> from the least to the greatest. Everyone will stand before God. And that there is a future because there will be a resurrection. You know, there will be a resurrection of the righteous and the life and a resurrection of the wicked unto destruction. And we don't have to fear that. And that's what Paul's getting at here. In verse 33, he says, It is God who justifies. 
you know, um, you know, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Corey Ten Boom and her family, you know, certainly were concerned about the Nazis, the Nazi Germans that occupied their country. And they certainly could have been afraid of being judged and sentenced and, and hauled off to a prison camp. That was a very real danger. We can be concerned about the people who don't like us. We know Hollywood doesn't like us. We know that there are atheist, woke professors who don't like us. We know the news media doesn't like us. We know that there are Muslims that don't like us. We know that communists and other totalitarian government types do not like us. But are any of them going to stand on Judgment Day and condemn us? No. The answer is absolutely not. I mean, Paul says right there, right here in um, verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. That's because only a righteous man is qualified to judge any of us. So there is no one on this earth in this present age that is fit to condemn us, to judge us. Certainly not at God's judgment seat. The only one is Jesus. And so... Jesus, who died on the cross and was risen and raised up, as I think it's in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says you know, that because he was righteous, because of his uh, sacrifice was accepted, God raised him from the dead. Jesus is the one that we don't have to fear. We don't have to be worried because in Christ we are justified. We also are assured that God is for us. You know, we are probably prone to think that when things go wrong, when things go bad in our life, as they sometimes do, that God is somehow against us. He's punishing us. He doesn't like us. Uh, my good friend Joe went through a very difficult year a few years back. Uh, his favorite aunt, uh, Aunt Betty died. Uh, he was very close to her. She was like a second mom. She died. His dog died. His really nice car was totaled when a deer jumped out and hit him. He lost his job. He had a really fabulous interview with Nestle, and that fell through. Um, he had several other disappointments. And it's like Joe is scratching his head and saying, does God hate me? What's going on here? And the answer is no. God doesn't hate you. God is not angry at you. All of God's anger and wrath was put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. God is for you. He is not against you. Here in Romans 8, we, we see all these blessings and benefits that we have. We are given God's Holy Spirit. We are given the ability to cry out to God, Abba, Father, to call Him our Daddy, that in the most intimate of Aramaic terms, Abba. We can run to Him. His Spirit 
is given as a deposit. One day our inheritance is all of God, but for now we get God's Spirit in us. We are given the promise of the resurrection. We are given the ability to live for God. You know, we are free of condemnation. And we have uh, the expectation of good things to come. We see as it builds up to Romans uh, 8.28, you know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for good. We often like to quote that verse when bad things are happening. And that is good and that is appropriate. Because as we see in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What does God graciously give? What are the all things? Is it a nice watch? Is it a nice car? Is it nice clothing to wear? Is it money in the bank? Well, yes, but it's also all the things that Paul talks about. He talks about suffering. He talks about hardship, famine, and trial. He talks about difficulty in life, tribulations, all these things as well. It is the, the beautiful, the good, and the lovely things, but it's also the undesirable, the unwanted things, the things that are hard and hurt and painful. All things are graciously given to us. Yes, we understand what it's like to get money and what it's like to get gifts of, of whatever, clothing or jewelry, or to be you know, able to buy a nice new car. We know what the good things are. We like that. It's difficult to see how the bad things, how that's also good. But God is using that. God is using it for our good. And what is that good? That good is actually, if you read verse 28, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. You know, you can listen to podcasts about guys who have been Navy SEALs. Or I just finished uh, listening to um, an interview of a guy who's a Green Beret, and now he runs a survival business. And you can read about, and, and either read the stories or listen to the podcasts, and, and, and all the, the, the difficult things, the combat situations, and the difficult missions they've been on, and even their training. You know, when, when the Navy SEALs are going through uh, their training in San Diego, and they go through Hell Week, where they are not able to sleep for the entire week, and just the misery of it all. And, and they get through it, and they can talk about how hardship and adversity shaped them, shaped their character, and helped them, and it helped them going forward. Yeah, all of that's true. But that's not what, that's not the only thing God is doing when he uses difficulty and problems in your life. Yes, he's developing you. Yes, he's building character. Yes, he's preparing you for the next thing. 
But the ultimate goal is to conform you to look like Jesus. That's why you card that's why you are called a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's God's goal, and God is for us. And the, the last thing I want you to remember is that God keeps us secure. That because He loves you and He has justified you and He is for you and He likes you, there's nothing that can separate you from God's love. As Jesus said, you know, no one can snatch you out of those whom the Father has called. No one can snatch you out of my hands. That you cannot lose your salvation. No one can take you from God. It doesn't matter where you go. To the greatest height, you go to Mount Everest or any other high mountain. Or if you go to the bottom of the Marianas Trench in the Pacific Ocean, or you go to the depths of hell, there's nowhere you can go to escape God. That's what the psalmist said in 139, Psalm 139. But Paul says, neither height nor depth, nothing in all creation can separate us. There is no man, there is no Nazi, there is no Marxist, there is no uh, government official, there is no corporation that can separate you from God. There is no demonic being, no spiritual power, that is greater than God, that can separate you from God's love. As we said, God is for you, not against you. God is giving us all things, including suffering, which is what Jesus, the very eternal Son of God, went through. And if you, His adopted child, are supposed to look like Jesus, you too will go through suffering. And that suffering is not going to cut you off from God's love because there is nothing greater than God. We do. We fear the unknown. Uh, we don't know what tomorrow will bring. And, and fear is a tool that authoritarian, totalitarian governments use. It's what the communists use in places like North Korea and China. It's what Islamic governments use. It's what Islamic terrorists use. The fear of the unknown. It's what the mafia and the drug cartels employ. They don't actually have to hurt everybody. They just need to hurt one or two people, and everyone else is afraid of what might happen to them. Uh, back in March, my wife and I were at Greenville Seminary, and we got to speaking with a Nigerian student. And he was saying how his father's a pastor and how the Islamic terrorists attack Christians in Nigeria. And that people will go to church not knowing if the church building's still standing because it could, they could show up for church and the building could be burned down. They go into church to worship on Sunday not knowing if a bunch of Islamic terrorists are going to come in and lob hand grenades into the midst of the congregation. Because that's one of their tactics, is to throw a bomb or a hand grenade in. It goes off and then people start running. And as they run, then they're gunned down. This happens. Not 
like it happened once, but it is a frequent event. And yet Nigerian Christians will still go to church and worship the Lord because there is that concern. As I was saying about Corey Ten Boom and her sister Betsy, we don't know what's going to happen. Providentially, God enabled them to work for nearly four years at hiding Jews and saving lives. But providentially, God allowed them to get caught. February 28th of 1944, God let them go to prison. But in prison, Corey and Betsy led Bible studies in the concentration camp among other women prisoners. And you know what? Women in these Bible studies came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Corey and Betsy were able to lead other women to Christ in the prison camp of Ravensbrück. Before Betsy died in December of 44, she said to Corey, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And that is the essence of what Paul was saying here at the end of Romans chapter 8, where nothing in all creation can separate us from God's love. None of the bad things that God does give us and allow in our lives that we maybe can explain or maybe we cannot explain. Because sometimes we never get a good explanation for why did that happen? Why did God take my wife? Why did God take my child? Why did this wreck happen? We don't have answers. We don't know. But one day we will. But all the suffering, all the hardship and trials, it doesn't mean that God's against us. He's actually for us. And he demonstrated that by giving Jesus his only son. And so... I want you to go away here first and foremost thanking God for what he has done for you, justifying you through the death of Jesus on the cross. Remember always that God is for you and that God's love, you're never cut off no matter where you are, no matter what happens, no matter who is out to hurt you. Don't be shut down like with fear. And please don't go away thinking, well, I gotta, you know, I gotta be like Corey Tin Boom and her sister and her father. No. Corey and her sister and father, they weren't trying to be heroes. They weren't trying to be like somebody else other than they were trying to be like Jesus. They were trying to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that is the final application, is that we are to seek in our prayers and in our striving and all of our doing to be conformed to the image of Christ. And then when we are, we realize that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Amen.